All right, so hi, everybody. I'm, I'm glad to see you all, and especially the newcomers and the visitors. It's really nice to have you here. Um, so we're, we're starting a vision series, um, a new sermon series, and it's kind of focused on our values and maybe like a bit about who we are. Um, and today we're going to be focusing on caring for the poor. There's a basic command, Deuteronomy 15:11. It's the fifth book of the Bible. It says, there will always be poor in your land. Therefore, you shall open wide your hand to your sibling, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Open wide your hand. So as a teacher, um, Jesus was um, an observant Jew and also taught this message. He practiced it. He observed this command in the New Testament writings. And in the very beginning of his ministry, he chooses 12 people by name and he gathers them together. And I like to think of it as like a shepherd with his sheep. And he looks up at them. It says he looks up at them and he says to them, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people revile you and exclude you and defame you. He says, leap for joy, for this is how they treated the prophets. And then he gives a series of matching woes. Um, which are in the scripture reading on your, or the verses on your bulletin if you want to look for the whole thing. Um, he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full and who laugh, and when all people speak well of you, for that is how they treated the false prophets. So I think these blessings and woes, they're like shocking and they surprise us. Um, at the very least, they flip our expectations about, in our world about who is truly blessed, right? Um, I think it's interesting that they come in pairs. So they're, they're always paired up, and it's like the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. The proud will be humbled, and the humble exalted. They make me think of like rivalrous twins, and one is like particularly blessed or chosen by God. Except in the Bible, it's the rejected twin who receives God's particular love and care. Um, it's uh, Psalm 118. It says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's marvelous. It's surprising. And it's, it's like good news for the poor, right? But what if we're not poor? What if we're doing very well. Well, one could say care for the poor. Um, but in the first book, five books of the Bible, the people who like most expect to receive God's favor and blessing, right? The, the wealthy and the powerful, the physically strong, the naturally gifted, these manly men like Cain or Ishmael or Esau or Pharaoh, they're, they're often shocked into like this murderous rage when they realize that the underdog has been chosen or favored by God. So Cain kills Abel, Esau pursues Jacob. When God favors one over another, things get really messy. So I come from a family of four siblings and two step-siblings. 
Um, I know a bit about sibling rivalry.、Um, We all want like love and attention from our parents, and I think at different times or another, we each of us have thought that we're like the favorite kid in the family. So our parents are doing a pretty good job at it.、Um, but when we really get going, we like to spar among each other. My my sister, the the baby of the family, the youngest, she likes to say that she's the finally got it right kid. The, <laughs> she's like, I'm the finally got it right kid. And who can argue with her? She's the last one. So like you know.、Um, And, and then、um, I'm going to share a little bit about this、um, trip I took to Greece about a month ago. I went for a wedding for a dear friend,、um, and the, the groom had an identical twin brother. Okay, so they're identical; they look the same. And one might wonder why. Well, at least I wonder why would the bride choose this brother and not the other? <laughs> they're also both super nice, you know. But the thing is, with with love. It's not like that, right? It's particular to the person,、um, you know, and, and it's also particular to like the name. Like my friend Mia chose Sam. Sam chose Mia. There, it's a particular kind of love. And in the Bible, it says that the outcast twin Jacob loved God, and God loved and chose to bless Jacob, and not Esau. And this is the great challenge to us, right? That God loves particularly. That God chooses. I mean, how can our God choose, right? But we are promised that through God's particular blessings, all nations on earth will be blessed. So maybe there's like a reason for it. Now the thing with love is that we do naturally love our friends and our partners and our parents differently. Then we love like the strangers or the poor or even our enemies, right? We love them differently, and when we love someone, we love all the littlest details about them, right? The things that make them unique from others. So love is like this particular preference that we have for one over others, and when it comes to our children, we don't love them because they're like carbon copies of each other, or even like little mini me's, right? We love them because they are uniquely blessed. Each of them have unique gifts that are particular to them, and we love their unique gifts. But this also means, by its very nature, that love can hurt. Okay, so it hurts when we're not loved or chosen, especially by our parents or a loved one. It hurts when we do not fit into the ideals of like our society or our culture or our religion. It hurts to be poor and outcast and rejected. And yet, in Deuteronomy 10:19, it says, "Love the stranger, love the stranger, because you know what it feels like to be a stranger." He's talking about when they were enslaved in in Egypt. But God says to love the stranger because you know how it feels to be different, to be outcast, to not be chosen, to be unloved. Love the stranger because God also sees and hears and loves the stranger. Deuteronomy 30 it says, if your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will bring you back. So I was googling shepherding techniques. <laughs> Thinking about shepherding, the Lord is our shepherd. Gathering in, yeah, I'm googling these things.、Um, 
it said, I came across this one site, and it said that sh many sheep farmers use fear to control their flocks. And I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> fear to control the flock. Yeah. Kind of like religion. But yeah. sheep farmers often use dogs, and the whole herd moves like quickly and easily out of their fear. So it's a useful technique. But this site suggested a different technique. Sheep have a pecking order. And so if the, hand, if the shepherd hand selects like the weakest sheep, the ones lowest on the pecking order, and then they treat train them or bottle feed them, then the littlest sheep come to know and love their shepherd. The interesting, oh, so then when the shepherd comes out into the field, right, the littlest ones, they come running to the shepherd. But the cool thing about it is that even the dominant sheep will follow. So in this way, the shepherd is able to get the whole flock to greener, greener pastures. Um, now, I have to pause here because did you know that we have a couple sheep farmers in our congregation? <laughs> of course we do. I had no idea. I was like, what? We have... So Emily and Javen, they have two sweet young children and a flock of about 30 sheep. Um, they don't use dogs to control them. Emily sent me a video of Javen, and he's like got this big bucket of treats, and he's like running, and all these sheep are like hobbling and chasing after him. It's really, really funny. And and she also said that um, if you feed an orphan sheep, like sometimes they lose their parents, and so if you bottle feed an orphan sheep, she said, yeah, they they really they think you're their parent. It's so annoying. <laughs> they like won't leave you alone. <laughs> And I loved that. I just, I love that image. So another fun fact is that sheep often have twins. And so in this way, the flock will grow quickly. So in summary, a sheep farmer does not need to use fear, but they can use this relationship established among the weakest and least among them. And then eventually the whole flock will follow. I think this is how Jacob cared for his sheep. So in the first uh, book of the Bible in Genesis, Jacob unexpectedly receives the family blessing. It went from Abraham to Isaac, to, which was Jacob's dad, to Jacob. And it was expected to go to Esau, his older brother, the older twin. Um, he narrowly escapes his twin brother's like murderous rage, like I said. And then Jacob marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel. And um, it says that God saw that Leah was unloved, and so God blessed her first. So there's this caring of the outcast or unloved twin. And around this time, Jacob wanted to establish his own flock of sheep. So he makes this deal with his father-in-law, Levan. Now, Levan, 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 Levan's name in Hebrew means white. And Jacob said, you know what? I'll take all the black and brown sheep and those who are speckled and spotted, and those will be mine, and you can have the rest. And Levan said, great deal, agreed. So they put three days between their sheep. And then Jacob was given permission to care only for Levan's weakest sheep, so the sick and the barren. And Levan was kind of tricky, so he thought he was getting a good deal out of this. So Jacob, similarly tricky, he comes up with this breeding technique of using rods and reeds, reeds while the, um, the sheep are drinking water and giving birth. So many of the sheep come out born um, speckled and spotted, and Jacob's flocks grew and thrived. So Jacob was given only the sheep who were different, weak, sick, or barren, and he cared for them while they were the most vulnerable, drinking water and giving birth. Unexpectedly, his flocks thrived.
thrived. So we're doing this vision series right now, like I said. And I think、uh, many of us here at Blue Ocean, maybe we feel like we've been pulled away from like majority Christian America in some ways. And I believe that we were brought out by the movement of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus promised that the truth will set you free, that all that is hidden will be revealed. And for us, God gathered up a flock of sheep, this church where people can be more open and honest about their orientation and gender identity. And the thing is, Jesus said there are、um, sheep not of this fold. There are many rooms in God's house. I think that we respect that there are people、uh, that are also similarly blessed and called away. And that means that there is a place for you. So back to my trip in Greece. While we were in Greece, I learned that.、Um, That、uh, the Greek word "barbarian"、um, originally meant anyone who was not Greek. So there's like this idea of us and them, right? The the insiders and the outsiders. But they came up with this word because the 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 languages of the people, foreign peoples around them, sounded like sheep, bar 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 barbarian. <laughs> So the Greeks eventually included Christians and Romans in their definition of of the insiders, and everyone else was considered a barbarian, including Jews and Muslims and people from foreign nations. And I think that、um, we've inherited a bit of this bias in Christianity today. So it's like the good Christians against the so-called barbarians, you know, and the sinners. And and but I think if we listen to the story of Jacob, we might recognize. That it is the rejected sheep, to whom God provides special love and care. God, God takes care of the lost and the poor and the outcasts. So on this trip, we started in Athens, and it's this—it's the birthplace of democracy and philosophy and the Olympics. <laughs> Go team, right? Like we have that, and these are gifts. These are beautiful gifts that this really beautiful, amazing country has given the world. And I was—I was moved by it.、Um, we visited the Parthenon, which is like an ancient temple. It's the most replicated architectural form in the world. The White House. Looks like the Parthenon. Many banks look like the Parthenon, and、um, there's right next to it is this place called the Areopagus Rock. So I was a little bit excited about the Areopagus Rock because that's the place where、um, Paul preached to the Athenians in the Book of Acts. So I just want to take like a real quick moment for Paul.、Um, so Paul was called a babbler, and he was thought to be preaching about foreign gods because he spoke about Jesus and the resurrection. Paul said to the Athenians, "I can see that you are religious in every way, but God is not found in temples built by human hands, or in gold, or silver, or stone." He said, "God, rather, God dwells in each of us, the offspring of God." For it is in God that we live and move and have our being. That was Paul's moment.、Yeah. So there were hundreds of tourists at this rock all day long, and I'm sure that many of them are Christians. But meanwhile, as in many big cities, there were poor people begging on the streets. And one woman in particular, she was sitting at a pillar, 
near the entrance to a, this busy marketplace that had this view of the Areopagus rock. And you could see like hundreds of tourists up there. There were hundreds of tourists in the market area. And um, she had three young children with her, a little baby who was still on formula, a small girl named Maria, and a little boy who tried to speak some English with us. So I, I think maybe I was thinking about Jesus and Paul or maybe Blue Ocean, but um, I stopped and I was struck by how um, we pay money to see like these ancient rocks and these ruined temples and the crumbling statues of goddesses. And we even gaze lovingly on a crucifix of Jesus in an ornate church building. And yet there is pressure to walk past people made in the image of God. Even this woman begging for food for her three children. Now, I know that there are social services and poor people in all cities, and like Deuteronomy says, there will always be poor in your land. But I actually had this bit of a shock moment. So we're standing there waiting for food with the boy, and it was past dinner time, and he mumbled quietly, so hungry. And I thought, oh, but why are you hungry right now with so many people all around you, with so many Christians flocking to the Areopagus rock? And I thought, is it because you speak a different language? The mom didn't speak any English. And I thought, is it because you have darker skin or maybe because you're poor and begging? I, why did I almost walk past them, rushing to the next tourist attraction? But now, of all the um, amazing meals that I had in Greece, this, this wedding, these friends, this moment stands out for me. It's special. It's like the cornerstone, right? And, um, and then, so then after we um, spent a little time with them, the little boy said goodbye to us in Greek. And then he paused and he goes, bye, <laughs> in English, <laughs> which I thought was so cute. Um, anyway, it, it is, it's just heartbreaking to me that in many Christian societies, beggars on the streets, they're like despised and ignored by the many. And it's heartbreaking to me that in Christian communities, queer kids are, are like rejected by their families in the name of religion. They're made in the image of God and yet rejected. And it's heartbreaking to me that this desire to be favored can lead to such violence and harm, sibling to sibling, neighbor to neighbor. I also wonder if the outcasts and the queer kids and the poor people might be easiest for the majority to just ignore or, or even condemn, but many of us simply just walk past people on the street heading to the next destination on our map. But our rabbi Jesus taught us to stop for our neighbors, to love our neighbors, to, to uh, love our enemies even, and to care for the poor, to pray for those who persecute us. We are taught to love the stranger because we know what it feels like to be a stranger. True religion is to choose a particular kind of love, to care for your sibling, for the outcast, for the widows and orphans, for the hungry and those in need. These are the little ones being gathered into the flock, gathered by a shepherd who does not use fear. And maybe, I'm like, maybe someday, even the dominant sheep will follow. So that's our sermon. And um, after our sermons, we usually take 
a few minutes of silence to breathe and focus on our breath. Um, so, yeah, let's just do let's just do breathing. I had a little piece, but I think let's just focus on our on our breath. So, as we breathe and focus, let's let's think about caring for the poor, and remembering to open wide our hands to our siblings, to the needy, and to the poor in our land, knowing that all people are made in the image of God who gives us our life and our being and our breath. I'll keep track of the time. Amen.